For a moment, I want you to imagine that we're in a bar at the end of a long night. At least it was a long night for Scott Detrow over here. He's been drinking top shelf booze for hours. It happens. I showed up a while ago and ordered some appetizers and beer. And Nell Greenfield Boyce over there showed up late and had a Diet Coke. That's my thing. And now the check has arrived. One big fat check. We'll explain what dividing this check has to do with the upcoming climate talks in Paris in just a second. But first... This is the NPR Politics Podcast, and I'm Tamara Keith. I'm Scott Detrow. I cover politics, but for a while I covered energy and the environment. And I'm Nell Greenfield-Boyce. I cover science. Nell is our very first non-politics team visitor to the podcast. So welcome, Nell, and cheers. I feel very honored to be over from the humble science desk to the big leagues of politics. So, Nell, almost 200 countries are getting together in Paris starting Sunday. What are they trying to accomplish? So this is the United Nations effort to have the world come together for a ambitious new global agreement to try to get global warming in check. And so basically you have representatives from all these countries there to hammer out some sort of document, some sort of short document that will explain what everybody's going to do so that everybody does their fair share to stop climate change. And is there a goal? Is there a target? A few years ago, about five years ago, the nations agreed to a target. Yes. So they said that they were going to try to limit global warming to two degrees Celsius. So for those of us here in the United States who use Fahrenheit, that's about three and a half degrees Fahrenheit. Thank you. The idea is that they're trying to develop some sort of plan that will make that happen. And that two degrees figure you mentioned, why is it so important? What happens if if it warms by more than two degrees? Well, you know, it's kind of an estimate. It's not like a hard and fast rule. But I mean, if people say that if we just sort of continue on with business as usual, we're looking at like 4.5 degrees Celsius warming in this century. And a lot of people say that it's going to have really dramatic changes to the Earth's climate. And that would mean, you know, sort of shifting where you can grow things. It would mean changing weather patterns. It would mean rising sea levels. A lot of things that would be really hard to adapt to that quickly. So to go back to the bar tab analogy, this big bill we've been handed, that's the we're going to keep it to two degrees goal? Sort of, yeah. I mean, so the bar tab analogy comes from this guy I talked to named Andrew Jones. He's with this nonprofit called Climate Interactive. And his point is that, you know, look, we've all been there trying to settle up a check. And something similar has been going on with the UN climate talks. It's like all these countries have been at the bar drinking and some people showed up in the morning and some people just showed 10 minutes earlier and then the bill comes and a few people throw down some euros some people throw down some coins and then someone's got to put it all together and see does it really add up and you know that the moment with your friends when you add it all up and then they say hey everybody Uh, Everyone needs to throw in 10 more. It's like that kind of process. And so almost 160 countries have done this already before Paris. They've said, here's what we promise to do. And some countries say, you know, we will protect forests, which are important for controlling greenhouse gases. Some countries say we're going to adopt more clean energy. And so what you do is you take all these pledges and you add them all up and you say, okay, How much is the earth going to warm if we all do what we promised? And guess what? It's more than two degrees Celsius. So like um, kind of a lot more, right? Yeah, it depends on how you do the math. But I mean, it's somewhere in the range of, you know, 2.7 to 3.5 degrees Celsius. One thing that's important to realize is that the conversation about paying that tab has kind of changed around. 
In the early talks in the 90s, the Kyoto Agreement is something that we remember in the world of politics because of George W. Bush kind of walking away from it. But his big concern with that was the big, uh, you know, developed uh, carbon emitting countries like the United States that kind of really had to bear the brunt of the transition toward a, a different kind of energy world. And the developing countries, which included China and India at that time, which were are now putting out a ton of carbon dioxide all the time, didn't really have to, to scale back their activities too much. So the concern from the U.S. was this isn't fair. This time around, there's kind of a general agreement that every country has to do its part to lower its, its emissions. Ah, but what's its part? That's the question. <laughs> OK, Scott, I want to talk about how U.S. policy fits into this. I know as a White House correspondent, I've seen President Obama go to China and make an announcement with the president of China. And he's made various announcements with various world leaders sort of in the lead up to Paris. How does that relate to what will happen in Paris? I'm going to keep sticking with the bar analogy because I will always stick to that analogy. But the United States has been that guy in the bar historically, (laughs) the loud guy in the corner, being obnoxious, spilling his drink. That's historically the United States role when it comes to carbon dioxide emissions and when it comes to willingness to really scale that back and change the way that our economy works. But President Obama has worked to change that image. And I think this is something that you saw a few weeks ago when he announced that he was rejecting the Keystone XL pipeline. He said the United States is serious about scaling back its carbon dioxide emissions, getting the rest of the world to go along. And yeah, you saw that last year in China, President Obama made a joint announcement that the United States would scale back its carbon dioxide emissions and that China would cap its by 2030. And that's important because these are number one and number two in the world when it comes to the carbon dioxide these countries are spewing into the air. And when other countries see that, that gives them confidence that they can start to move forward too. You know, you've got these two major world powers saying, we want a deal. You have people like the Pope making the moral argument. And for the first time, you have all these countries, developing countries, you know, small countries coming forward and saying, okay, here's what we're going to do too. And so people say, look, the stars are aligned now like they have never been before. Like if they can't do it this time, they're not going to do it. Just to throw a little ice water on this, I've been exchanging emails with the spokesman and advisor to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. Of course, he's from Kentucky, which is a coal state. And and he has been a big opponent of what President Obama is doing. And I just want to read a little bit of this email from Don Stewart, who works with Mitch McConnell. He says, Leader McConnell has reminded others that locking into an unattainable pact with a president who is insisting that it not be a binding treaty is something that we should be very carefully considering. When the president's plan is opposed by a bipartisan majority of Congress, is illegal, likely to be struck down by the courts and subject to the whim of the next president in just over a year, why would any country join? And Republican leaders have been going around and making this statement very publicly, uh, going to embassies of other countries that will be involved in the talks. Let's kind of walk through what the United States plan is. So the bulk of the plan that the United States is taking to Paris is made up of EPA regulations. And there's one big one here, and it's called the Clean Power Plan. And what this basically does is focuses on the power sector, you know, the power plants that that make the lights work all over the place. And, And it's ordering them state by state to lower their overall emissions by about 30 percent between now and 2030. And I'll tell you that it is across the board feeling from the Republicans running for president. They do not like this clean power plan. Uh, It's something that uh, Ted Cruz talked about recently. Some of the most devastating EPA regs to ever come out, you know, a couple of weeks ago. The National Black Chamber of Commerce testified before a hearing that I chaired. 
the head of the National Black Chamber said, if these rules go into effect, within 20 years, they will cost 7 million African Americans their jobs and 12 million Hispanics their jobs. Yeah, what he's talking about there is that power is going to get more expensive. That's kind of a way to frame it in, in, in the most unappealing way possible. And make it about jobs. Right. So he's talking about jobs, but I mean, President Obama has been talking about the science. And speaking as someone who works at the science desk, that's sort of what I focus on. I mean, he's basically been mocking the Republicans, saying, like, how can you not believe this is real and something that we need to take action on? The planet's warming. 99% of scientists have said it's warming. And we've got the Republican chairman of the Senate Energy and Environment Committee carrying a snowball into the Senate chambers to show that there is still snow and that climate change isn't happening. I am not making that up. That's what happened. That's what happened. Somebody says, that's crazy. That's crazy. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> I was going to quote Kanye, but I can't because there's a family audience, but it's crazy. I mean, but, but President Obama is talking about the science, but he's also doing it in a political way because climate change is a really tricky issue because it all depends on the way you frame the subject. You know, Mitch McConnell, obviously very high profile Republican, but he's very vocal on this issue and he represents a viewpoint of a lot of Republicans. And that is that what President Obama wants to do is going to be really, really expensive. This is something that McConnell talked a lot about when he ran for re-election last year. I don't have to tell you there's a war on coal in America. And I tell you, I will be the leader of the forces that take on the war on coal. And this is an ad, of course. Right. Anyone who looks at this from a scientific viewpoint is going to say that coal is an energy form that creates a lot of pollution and creates a lot of carbon dioxide emission. But the other thing about coal is there's a lot of it. It's very cheap. And a lot of uh, people make their money in the coal industry. So this is a political argument that's been going on for decades now. But this clean power plan and this uh, this plan that the president's bringing to Paris really puts it front and center again, because the bulk of that plan is to shift away from coal and towards sources of energy like natural gas, like wind, like solar that emit a, a lot less carbon dioxide into the air. Don't forget nuclear. I mean, the argument on the other side that you hear is that there's a huge opportunity when it comes to transitioning to clean energy. So the idea is that, you know, there's going to need to be new technologies. There's going to need to be, you know, new jobs. There's going to be new, all kinds of new opportunities. The people who want to see changes to our energy system basically say this is an opportunity that digging big mounds of rock out of the earth and burning them is the old way. And that if you want to move to the energy of the future, you can make money doing it. And they're saying that for these other nations, places like India, places like China, where they're grappling with, you know, air pollution, like you wouldn't believe you Terrible can't even see the sun. Do yeah. they really want to be burning more coal or do they want to try something new? So this is the argument that this is not losing jobs. It's not losing opportunity. Instead, this is the future of economic opportunity. Can't critics just say they're going to go, they're going to meet, and they're not even going to figure out a way to pay the tab? Like, they're not even going to figure out a way to meet the goal that maybe isn't even aggressive enough? Is everybody going to agree to every part of this deal? I mean, probably not, truthfully. I mean, you're looking at so many countries with so many different interests. And some countries are really dependent on selling fossil fuels. So, I mean, they're not like, rah, 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 let's change to a new energy economy, right? <laughs> um, yeah. But if most of the world 
especially some of the big emitters like China, are saying, okay, we see what's coming down the pike and we got to make changes. Well, then what more can you ask for, really? And that's a point that the Obama administration addresses a lot. Uh, the head of the EPA, Gina McCarthy, talks about this frequently, that, you know, yes, the clean power plan in itself, which, again, is kind of the bulk of, of the U.S. plan in Paris, doesn't really do much on a global scale to make any big drastic steps. But she's saying this is the first step in a very long process of changing policy. And I talked to one guy using the bar tab analogy. He told me that traditionally the United States is like the guy at the bar who drinks a lot but like isn't very quick to throw in his fair share of the bill. But he's saying, you know, the U.S. is now like that guy. He's gotten some like evil looks from his mates. And he's like, okay, I'm going to start buying a few rounds, you know, and I'll buy around here and I'll buy around there and sort of start to catch up a little bit. All right, well, Nell Greenfield-Boyce, you only got a Diet Coke, so I am definitely buying this round. And Scott Detrow, thanks for being here. Thank you. I think I owe everybody money here. I think you do. It happens. This is the NPR Politics Podcast. I'm Tamara Keith.